Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God and... uh, and his righteousness, because that's what we're supposed to be seeking. And it seems like a lot of people quite, cannot quite identify what the kingdom of God really is and what it really is all about. They think it's where they're going to go when they die. But we know Jesus said it was for the living. So the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right now. It's it's a way. So what does that way look like? Well, we have a study call every Tuesday, and we've been going through the free church report and saving the audios, and we offer people a chance to come there and uh, go through the book one at a time. And uh, at the same time, I've been looking at and listening to what other people uh, have been uh, assuming or thinking is... uh, the problems of the world. We have some people think that uh, capitalism is the problem of the world. Capitalism is is what God instituted. God instituted capitalism. Can you believe that? Well, it depends on your definition of capitalism. Capitalism is the private ownership of the means of production. And, of course, that means you. Private ownership of you. You you plant a seed in the ground, you have a right to the produce of that seed. If you raise an animal and feed it through the winter and take care of it, you have a right to that animal. You even have dominion over the things that are running wild on the earth that nobody has any right to, uh, such as the fish in the sea, etc. You have dominion. Now, you should not abuse that dominion, you should be dressing and keeping it. And that's part of the original commandment. But that idea that you have power over your means of production, your labor, your sweat, your toil, your efforts, that was instituted by God. Your other option is that the means of production are not owned by you individually, but by everybody. Well, the problem comes is with the conflict that comes about where somebody claims a piece of land. They they fence it. They uh, they change, you know, they grow something on it. Uh, they're pasturing animals on it. And they have a right. Now, you can actually have a right to a graze. And people have that uh, right to, they, they graze off a certain piece of property. They've been doing it every year. Now, does somebody else have a right to come in and bring their cattle and take the grass off before you get it? Now, you've been using it, and so that use gives you a right to it. And that, because you are already there, you're kind of, you were there first. That's a property right. It's proper that you, because if somebody else comes in and grazes off where you have been grazing because you were there first, then you don't have food for your animals and your animals all die. 
they starve. If you overgraze the ground, then nothing comes back. So, but you know what overgrazing is because if you'd overgrazed too many days, too many years in a row, you, the the fields would be ruined and you wouldn't have anything left, and your your sheep would all die. There's an island out in the the Mediterranean that have goats on. They weren't originally on there, but somebody brought goats. Seamen probably put goats on the island to graze it off because the grass was just growing and dying and nothing was eating the grass. So they put some goats on there and they thought, well, you know, we can come here and pull into the island now and then. You know, you really can't live on the island. There's not very much space, but it's big enough to grow some grass and they get enough rain. and, And so the goats survive. And they reproduce, and more goats reproduce, and more goats reproduce, and they get lots and lots of goats until they have all kinds of goats on the island. And then they have too many goats on the island because the seamen didn't come back and harvest some of those goats. So eventually, there are so many... I mean, you think about it. Oh, you Say you have a thousand goats on the island, and they all get bred. You know, or a lot of them get bred, and they have... A lot of them have twins. So you end up with 2,000 goats on the island the next year. Well, the island only grows. It's an island. It only grows enough feed for 1,000 goats. 2,000 goats. It's too many goats. And then some of them get bred the next year, and all of a sudden you have 3,000 goats. And they're starving. And they die off. Thousands of goats die every so often because they just get to be too many and they they all start dying because they they've eaten all the grass and there's no and it can't grow fast enough and then they're down to maybe a hundred goats survive i don't know what the actual statistics are but they, they would be die-offs every four or five years of the goats from starvation because they'd eat all the grass and there just wouldn't be enough and they would start dying. Well, after a while, of course, you get... What happens is the goats become probably stunted, smaller. And the smaller goats survive because they don't need as much feed. They get by. And the goats that can climb into the crevices and the goats that learn to eat seaweed that gets washed up. Anyway, somehow or other, some goats survive. And all the others die off. And then the rains come and the grass come back. And the goats start from 100 goats again. And then the next year they have maybe 150 goats. And then they grow and they have more goats. And and eventually they have 500 goats and everybody's doing great. And then they have 1,000. And then they have 2,000. <laughs> they have another die off. So, so what does this all have to do? This is a part of dressing and keeping it. That you need to manage things. Or you have these, uh, you know, on the island you can see the extreme. What happens in, in on a large continent is that they overproduce in one area. And the buffalo used to do this. They just devastate an area. They eat all the grass and there'd be nothing there. Or the gophers. The prairie dogs, they would become so populated in an area, they would wipe out for miles and miles and miles. There would be nothing growing. 
the prairie dogs just invaded the entire area and then they would eat everything up and they would either have to move to another area or they would have a die-off. Well, because it was a big continent, they would just move and then they wouldn't be in the area that they'd eaten everything, but they had dug up all the ground and seeds would blow in and then things would come back again. And so wildlife was somewhat nomadic. In the forest, you know, if uh, the trees all grow up and they get real thick, they'll kill out all the grasses and everything dies. Except for the trees. The trees live. But things that eat grasses, like woodland buffalo or elk and deer, they starve because there's no grass. There's very little browse. I mean, they can walk up to trees and eat their bark, and that's about it. The branches are all out of their reach. So to... Tree to uh, elk and deer and woodland buffalo, trees are bad. Trees kill our food supply. <laughs> so when little saplings and suckers come up, they eat them, <laughs> kill them to keep the, you know, this is what woodland buffalo, they'll go along and they'll just knock over trees, little trees. As they're growing up, you know, they might be 10 feet tall, 15. They'll rub on them, break all the branches off and push them and break them over. People say cows kill trees. Of course they kill trees because trees kill cows. This is nature. Man's supposed to have dominion. He's supposed to see these processes and understand them and manage them. So you have trees and you have open areas and you have... Some areas that are, grasses are growing, I've been haying for the last few days. And as I drive through the field, I see 20 different kinds of grasses, maybe 30 different kinds of plants growing in the field. In the soil, there are hundreds of different things growing in the soil, all contributing. It's all an environment. And it's all part of the deal. And all these different grasses that are in the hay, these are natural meadows. They're flood irrigated by natural springs. All these different grasses, some are heavy in certain minerals, like the uh, horsetail. If the cows eat the horsetail, they'll get good strong bones and and their teeth that will be stronger because of the mineral content of horsetail. But then there are other grasses. You know, there's... Um, the fiddle grasses that are along the edges where they don't get much water and there's orchard grasses and there's some timothy and there's some clover. They love the clover. They just go over and just devour the... That's the cheesecake of the meadow. <laughs> so they like that. But just clover would not be good for them. So they have all these different types of feed that are out there. And it's working. It creates an environment. But man can come along and improve that. A lot of the areas in the desert up by Mulhair, there were very, very little game there. The Indians would eat up a lot of the game. And then they would, you know, like some of the Southwest Indians where you could see the extreme, they would feast in famine. There would be good years and there would be bad years. And they learned that when there were good years, they would put on lots of fat. And now that they're eating the white man diet, they're all overweight. <laughs> Because 
they have no bad years because their bodies learn to put on fat when there was good and then their body would consume that fat when things were in short supply, feed was in short supply. But they would grow more and more in uh, their ability to manage their diet and uh, physically and mentally they would learn how to do things. They would learn how to grow some crops or hunt and when the growing crops didn't work out then they d depended more on hunting. When the hunting game wore out then they had the corn to get them through the hard times. And so all these things is a part of our management. We can be very wise in that management or very foolish in that management. But God wants you to have dominion. He wants you to have control over the means of production where you can plant your corn. You can, you can hunt the wild game. You can have flocks that are not quite wild so they're not running all over the place they're your flocks you, you they die out the sheep would die out if you were not the herdsman of the sheep because you protect them you you find feed for them where they couldn't find feed before they can't survive on their own they need you even the deer the deer can do pretty good without man but man can manage them and, of course, I, I see a lot of people, I've, I've studied this in the universities, and I see people attempting, but they don't really understand. You know, way up in um, northern Sweden and, and Norway, they're Laplanders, and they their herds are wild deer. They actually herd the deer, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the, the reindeer. They're actually herds of reindeer. They're not really a domesticated, but they have become somewhat domesticated. And they do actually use some of them for carrying burdens, etc. And, and probably even pulling sleighs. But generally, they were wild until these people started managing them and herding them. And then they become domesticated. And even though the deer can probably survive pretty good on their own, they can also survive better if they have some... You know, like a buffalo. If if you just let the buffalo roam, the, there will be lots and lots of males. And, and only about half of them will be females. Well, what happens is the males spend huge amounts of time fighting each other for dominance. Because there's too many males. But if someone were to hunt them and thin out the males, take the weaker ones, you know, and let the stronger ones breed. And, you know, I was just reading this morning, Jacob. He managed the flocks. He knew how to do that so he would get the stronger and the healthier ones. And that's control of the means of production. His brother, or his, his, not his brother, his uncle, uh, I guess that would be his father-in-law. It depends on which, uh, <laughs> you know, because he's Lebanon, uh, was, uh, you know, he was kind of uh, selfish, let's put it that way, in his dealings. He was always trying to get the good deal. And he got good deals, and he made his sons all rich because he had Jacob who was blessing his flocks. 
And, uh, but then Jacob finally made a deal with them, and Jacob came out the better on the last deal. And Lebanon wasn't quite as rich. He was still rich. He just wasn't quite as rich as he was when he depended completely on Jacob to make him a success. And now Jacob could go with his, what he, he learned, and what he earned. And, uh, and I won't go into the whole story, but this was capitalism, but the problem wasn't capitalism. Was the fact that Lebanon was a little selfish, and eventually he got his comeuppance. So people who try to complain about capitalism, your alternative is either the means of production is owned by the individual, or the means of production is owned by the collective. But if you own it by the collective, then 51% can take away the rights of the other 49. If everybody owns it, nobody owns it. See, you really can't have charity, you know, really practicing charity, without capitalism. Because capitalism requires that you get to own your labor and you get to decide how to distribute what you produce. You get to make that choice. And God knows that. See, who... who unified the people, brought the people together so that they all had one purse, and like, you know, socialism. Cain, Nimrod, Pharaoh, eventually, Caesar. They, they were already starting a socialist state before the first Caesar, but by the time Caesar came there, you get in, I mean, even under Augustus, who was the first Caesar, Sometimes half of the people of Rome were on the government dole. It was a social, socialist state. And at first it was a socialist, you know, d democratic socialist state. Because the emperor was elected by an electoral college of the Senate. And he held three offices, Imperator, uh, Apotheos, and Principas Civitas. And actually, each of those offices required an election. You could actually be the emperor, but not Principas Civitas. Because Principas Civitas was the chief executive officer of Rome. And sometimes the emperor was off in other countries. And they didn't have cell phones <laughs> and connections. So somebody else would carry on the duties of the Principas Civitas, this uh, chief executive office and not Augustus Caesar. But he was probably a good friend of Augustus, and kind of a shoe-in. Same way with the Apotheos. You know, there were people managing that when Augustus was away, fighting some of these wars, being the policemen of the world. But they didn't have the kind of instantaneous communication, so the offices were divided up. Principal Civitas was a one-year term. Imperator was a ten-year term. I actually can't remember the term of Apotheos. Apotheos was the appointer of the federal judges throughout, or imperial judges throughout the empire. He could appoint these judges. That's what that office, that was the duty of that office. And so, as much as I can tell, Augustus kept that office because you would appoint a judge and if another judge needed to be appointed, 
you know, they could communicate to you. It wasn't always an instantaneous thing that you had to make a decision right away. So it was probably a longer-term office, and I think he most often held that office. He probably depended upon advice from other people. But what he's doing is he's controlling the means of production through these offices. Because he's controlling the people, and the people are the means of production. I mean, if you can appoint the judges who can decide whether you live or die or go to jail or get fined, that's exercising authority over the means of production, the people. If you're the chief executive officer of Rome, this wealthy municipality, you're exercising authority. You're making choices for other people. If you're the imperator, uh, you're the commander-in-chief of the military, the army, and the navy. And you can control all kinds of things when you're running an army. But that's not capitalism. That's the result of socialism. That's what's going on there is socialism. So, capitalism is the way of God because capitalism puts the power of choice over the means of production in every man's hands. Now, what happens, though, is that the power of choice seems to fall into the hands of wealthy men. You know, a few men. Because money is power, and they end up with more and more land and more and more factories and more and more businesses and more and more money, more and more people working for them. When Jacob was gathering these sheep, you know, he he could keep the spotted sheep and he could keep the belted cows and, you know, the ones with mixed color, he could keep. Well, he... He grew in numbers of servants because he was hiring lots of herdsmen to watch these different flocks. They're not all in one little spot. And so, and they're all making their living off of this. And they're happy to do work for Jacob because he's a good guy. And he knows his stuff. And the herds are increasing and everybody's getting wealthy and everybody's doing well and nobody's starving. And, and you don't have to worry about your children dying. Uh, from hunger because whatever Jacob touches, he prospers in. So he became a wealthy man and, and all his servants loved to work for him. But uh, Levon was getting poor. He was not as blessed. Now, today we see lots of wealth. Everybody's always complaining about the majority of wealth is in the hands of the 1% or something like that or 2% or 3%. And they want to go back to the collective. Well, ask yourself, why are some men so rich and so many people poor? It isn't the fall of capitalism. There's something else going on here. Because capitalism, just if you do it a little bit, has a tendency to make everybody better off. So what's really going on? Let's talk about that when you come back.
welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, how come some men get so rich and other men have such a hard time and there's starvation? I mean, you see in a lot of these countries that don't really have any kind of capitalism, they don't even have very much structure in government, whereas some men get to be very powerful. And one of those powers is money. And so once you get a lot of money, you can usually get a lot more money and even a lot more money and even a lot more money. One of the things I, th I found interesting is that Rockefeller was extremely philanthropic. Even from way back in the early days, before he really became, I mean, the original Rockefeller who became so wealthy. He was very philanthropic, gave lots to charity. And it seemed like the more he gave to charity, the more successful he became. Now, more recently, a lot of the charities that some rich men give to is really paybacks to other men who've done them favors. But it's still sort of charity. And the reality is, is that the poor people would get some of the understanding that Jacob had that uh, that is in the Bible about what a good way to live is because even in the Old Testament the way of God was called the way there's a way to live but what's happened because of the trauma of sin and we've talked about that in the last few shows this trauma of sin we're brain damaged some people say hypnotized uh, and in a way, it is a form of hypnosis because it's a cutting off of part of your brain, a part of your brain function that you cannot see things that you used to see. You cannot understand things that you should be able to understand. And it just doesn't make sense to you, you know. And they talk about the uh, uh, orbitofrontal lobe being like cut off in this section right behind the eye sockets, which is right in front of the pituitary. You know, and you can get all new agey about it. But the reality is there is something physically going on there and from the, you know, the center of your brain and the frontal lobe and this disconnect that seems to take place. And part of that disconnect is taking place because of trauma. What's the trauma? The trauma, we call it sin. A lot of times, people in the church, they call it sin. And there was this original trauma, this original sin, where we decided that we wanted the power to decide what was good and evil. We wanted to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the metaphor and the allegory that they're telling you. We wanted to decide for ourselves what was right and what was wrong. We were going to decide. We were going to judge what was right and what was wrong. We weren't going to listen to God. We were going to. We chose to be like God and make the decision for ourselves based on our own knowledge and information. Well, when you do that, there's a shift of consciousness and now there's a severing. Of perspective, You can't see things that you used to see. Now you see things that you didn't see before. You've like 
you, it's like moving into another realm. Suddenly, you realize that you're naked. You don't have any authority, which is what nakedness is really all about. We see that with the Levites, and actually we've done some studies on the Word and show you how that Word has to do with not having authority. See, God gave you dominion over the planet, over the fish, and over the things of the field, and over yourself. He did not give you dominion over your brother. He did not give you, you know, the Cain took dominion over his brother. He didn't give you dominion to be an oppressor of other people, but to be a priest to other people, a priest to all nations. Israel was had a priesthood, a national priesthood, but in every household there was a priest and king. And we talked about this uh, on the uh, study call, which if you join the network, we can show you where these study calls are and, and how this all works. But the reality is uh, last week we did the lively stones of living altars. And we put up the recording so you can download it or play it while you read through the material and there's a sidebar there with lots of quotes and references to other locations and if you have questions you can tell us on the network and we can improve that page but it helps you understand that we were always to have a priesthood who were lively stones of living altars where and the reason why because this facilitates the power of choice to remain with the people because all the offerings on these lively stones, these living altars, are free will offerings. And those altars, which we had a study the week before on living altars, were a part of the social welfare system of a society or community of people. And it was all based on faith, hope, and charity and what Paul calls the perfect law of liberty. They were taking care of of the poor, the needy in their society through faith, hope, and charity. And with the applications of what we know by Thessalonians and by the, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, that your charity has to help strengthen the poor. The, the nature of your charity has to strengthen the poor. If you don't want to work, if you want to be lazy, if you, you know, you're not going to, you should not receive freebies. You should only receive them when you really need them. But you should receive them when you really need them. And this, these lively stones and living altars help keep society strong in several ways. One is you had to choose to care about other people. When you suffer the trauma of sin and cut off the Holy Spirit, cut off the tree of life by deciding for yourself what was good, taking the power to decide for yourself what was good and evil, you lobotomized your mind so that you could not see certain things. And it frightened you and you hid from the truth of what you discovered, which was you're not God. <laughs> That's, a, that's kind of a revelation to some people. <laughs> They're not God. They can't decide. See, what everybody does is they go around creating God. They're deciding in their brain what God is like. 
and they're creating an image of God in their brain. And then sometimes they'll make a statue out of wood or or ceramics or whatever. And, you know, what something they will make their God. And usually it ends up being government. <laughs> government their God. Or a particular philosophy about government or something. I mean, there's a myriad, millions of these God's many out there who are not really God. But we create them out of our own mind and out of our own actions. It's very important for us to begin to realize that we can't create Jesus Christ, an image of Jesus Christ in our imagination based on facts and stuff that we study. Because all we're doing in that studying is we're eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus is who he is. Jesus Christ is who he is. Your opinion has nothing to do with that. That that can't your opinion can't change who he is. It it can change who he is in your mind, but you're not supposed to be worshiping an image of Jesus or an image of God in your mind. You're supposed to be worshiping the actual Jesus and the actual God of heaven. You know, when I say Jesus, I'm saying in his capacity as the Son of God. Meaning, one with God. The man who was one with God. That if you knew who he really was, you would know God too because he was like God in all the things that he did. And what did he do? He came to serve. God wants to serve you. That's, and he does that through the tree of life. But you have decided to decide for yourself. And so you've, you've eaten of the tree of knowledge and you've created your doctrine and you've created your churches and you've created your religions and you've created your philosophies and you worship those things, which are a creation of you. Which brings me to the topic of the institutional church. Which I'm going to go into a lot more in depth later on. But there is... Uh, some say the institutional church is the collected group of Christians who don't want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ on his terms, but on their terms. Well, that's not too bad of a definition. of. But now he's calling that the institutional church. Now, the institutional church is the church that was instituted by Christ. But there is also a church instituted by men who want to decide for themselves what Christ meant. <laughs> That's why the Bible is not given to private interpretation, because people are going out and studying the Bible and deciding for themselves what it means. And, you know, I'll challenge anybody. If somebody wants to come on a program and debate me, come on, let's, let's debate. Let's, let's discuss these things. But the reality is, they're leaving out. Uh, everybody does this to some degree. They're leaving out some critical statements by Jesus in the formulation of their doctrines about Jesus. Jesus said, thou shalt not covet. God said, thou shalt not covet. You can't desire to have control over the, your neighbor's means of production. Well, if nobody desired to have control over their neighbor's means of production, 
you couldn't have socialism. Nobody would be even slightly interested in socialism. They'd be interested in charity, but they wouldn't be interested in... Socialism isn't charity. Socialism is where the collective has control over your means of production. They can decide how much of what you produced you get to keep, and we're going to redistribute what you have that you don't need, and we're going to decide that you don't need it, and we're going to take it and give it to somebody else. Now, capitalism isn't going to necessarily distribute the wealth evenly among society. Because capitalism isn't about that. Capitalism just says, you get your stuff. What you produce is yours. That's all capitalism says. The morality or immorality of capitalism is not the result of capitalism. It's the result of choices. And if moral people were to get together and produce and take care of one another... There would be no rich men wealthier than everybody else. Because there's more of us. We're the workers. We're the laborers. We're the producers. And what would happen is that you would see people who working for the master who rules over people, controls people, manipulates people, drunk with the power over other people because he has all this wealth. And they'd say, I would rather go out and work with these loving people who care about one another, who will watch my back and take care of my family when I was sick or when I'm old. Or they will take care of me even when I'm old. But in order to join such a community, you have to be wanting to take care of others as well. This is the reverse of deciding for yourself what is good and evil. This is coming to serve. You see, if you come... If the people were to come together in the character of Christ, the wealth would be distributed amongst the people. But when the people come to serve themselves, you know, get my stuff in a trust where it's safe. Get my family where it's safe. Now, it's good to get your family where it's safe. But if you care about your family more than you care about your neighbor's family, you're not heading towards the kingdom. You're heading away from the kingdom. You have to care about others as much as you care about yourself. You have to care about other families as much as you care about yourself. If you don't, this is the way, you're following the way to poverty. And that's what America has started to do. Is that they? Now, when they first came here, they had a lot of those same ideas. They were pretty selfish. They were looking for gold or they were looking, we're going to get our separatists out of the system. We're going to get us away from those other strangers. And that didn't work out so good. Half the pilgrims were dead the first year. And the wilderness said, you know, you need to think about others as much as you think about yourself. Stranger or not, you need to love your neighbor. You need to care. Wilderness taught them that. Made them learn that. And they... And those who didn't learn that died off. You know, it's like those goats on the island. You know, if you all you want to do is feed your belly, you know, you but they're goats and we can you know, they they can't think that much. That's why you need a goat herder. <laughs> it says, 
we're getting too many goats. We're not going to have enough feed for next year. We're going to have to butcher these goats, jerk the meat, <laughs> tan the hides, and uh, let's do it with these ones over here that aren't so good. And we'll put out a sign, sailors, come and get cheap meat. <laughs> so, anyway, the... This is managing. This is dressing and keeping it. This is good for the goat herd. It's good for the island because it doesn't get overgrazed. And this is what you do in society. You care, but you have to care about. You have to care about the grass, and you have to care about the goats, and you have to care about the island. You have to care about the whole thing. You have to dress it and keep it. That's what a herdsman's supposed to do. What, what, why do we call a minister a pastor or a shepherd? As he knows, if, if I just let these animals eat all this food down, they'll end up starving. If I let them into the hay field, we had a couple of cows jump over a fence. They actually a heifer and a steer jump over a fence into the hay field. Well, they're, just too, they're not going to do that much damage in the hay field. They they have to go over and eat. Now, where they're at, there's tons of feet. There's water and everything. But one of them was just kind of curious. It was half dairy bull steer. And uh, they're always thinking they're a little more mischievous. So they jumped the fence and they were in the field. They weren't going to do much damage, but we put them back just because they need to be back there. Now, if the whole herd came out there, they could make a mess. And uh, and they will do that. Uh, I remember a neighbor had his cows in a particular pasture. It was on an alkali lake bed. And so the cows could actually walk out on the alkali lake bed when it was really dry. And they could go way out. And eventually they could walk around the fence. Now, they have to walk out in this dry white alkali lake bed and sometimes muddy and if there's a lot of water they won't even go out there because their feet would be sinking down but it was pretty dry that year so they could go way out and they walked way out around that fence and they got into another pasture they just they weren't out of feed they just decided to do it and once a couple did it a bunch did it they just followed that trail so where they're going they followed another way <laughs> and they went into the next pasture well, that was fine. It wasn't going to be the end of the world, but he had stacked a haystack near a fence on the other pasture. Now, there's all kinds of green grass, but they're mischievous, like children. They gotta gotta go see what the and they could see this haystack, and they they reached over the fence and st they could actually make it to bite on the hay bales. And they they would do it, a couple of them do it, then a couple more, and they would bite on the hay bales and take a little of the hay. Now, there's all kinds of green grass. They don't need it. They're just fiddling. Well, eventually, they grabbed a string or something and pulled the bale, and the haystack started to fall. And then it was closer, and they could reach more, and the more fell. And eventually, it fell on the fence itself and they walked up the haystack and of course now they're defecating and they're they're always looking for another morsel and it's part of their instinct to go look they're grazers or browsers they're going to go look 
and say, well, maybe the hay on the top of the haystack is better than the stuff we were eating on the side. And so they're just making a terrible mess. And he was gone for four or five days, and he came back to this terrible mess. And he had me fixing it and helped me clean it up, and he was right there with me. And we were shoveling. We'd moved the cows back, and we were trying to salvage the hay they hadn't ruined and and uh, loading it up into a big cart and taking it to another place where they won't wreck it. And, and he's thinking, those dumb animals, those dumb animals, they had to walk around there. They had to reach the hay. They had to pull it down. And I And we're just dripping. I'm dripping with sweat. And I said, for dumb animals, they got us working awful hard. And that became my definition of a dumb animal. Dumb animal is someone who just outsmarted a man. Because they always call him dumb at that point. But the reality is the animal was following his instinct. But his instinct, if he ruined all that hay, and they would have eventually, they might starve during the winter. But the herdsman knows he's managing the flock. And God put us here to manage not only the flock... But our neighbor, but we have to manage our neighbor in a way that will strengthen him. So what strengthens your neighbor? Well, he has to learn to work. He has to learn to take care of his family. He has to learn to think about his neighbor as much as he thinks about himself. So the shepherd is encouraging this all the time. But you know, a lot of shepherds I see, a lot of ministers I see... They want you to belong to their flock, their church. And he wants it and he throws out these doctrines that and he 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 lulls the people into a sense of salvation that they're saved because they go to this church and they think these thoughts. And so they're saved. And they're gonna to go to that great retirement community in the sky. But the reality is, is they're not doing what Jesus said. They're not caring. Oh, they care about the people at their church a little bit. They don't really take care of the widows and orphans. They might visit somebody now and then if they're having some trouble. They might send some money to the missions. But they're men who exercise authority one over the other. Those benefactors of the earth, the, the, the fathers of a nation. Those... Principas civitas and and apotheos and imperators are the ones who really provide for the widows and orphans and needy of society. And they do it by force. They force people to contribute so that they will take care of the needy of society. We're taking care of the needy of society is a great thing. But if you do it by force... You weaken society. Because making the choice to give to take care of your neighbor is what restores that lobotomized frontal lobe of empathy for others. So if you're going to be a shepherd, you have to encourage people to take care of one another. And you have to occasionally point out that if you don't take care of one another, you are stupid. I've been called out that I should not say you can't fix stupid. Well, the truth is, you can fix stupid. But only if people choose not to be stupid. Now, 
Now, if you, you know, I'd, I've never done a word search in the Bible for the word stupid <laughs> to see if they use the word stupid in the Bible. I don't know if it uh, it, it would be in there. At least uh, in the King King James, I don't see it. But uh, they do have foolish in the Bible. And they have it a lot of times. And they warn you about being foolish. And that's what the ministers need to do. So let's talk about foolishness when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Um, so I said we were going to talk a little bit about foolish and uh, how to fix foolishness. You can't fix foolishness unless you stop being foolish. But if you stop being foolish, it will fix itself. And that's what I'm telling you. That you want to reconnect to God. What's going to draw you near God so that you can reconnect to God? Well, the word to draw near is the word from which we get the word Corbin, which means sacrifice. So, sacrifice, in other words, caring about other people as much as you care about yourself, will draw you nearer to, to God, to Christ, to the way. Because see, you've gone out of the way. By thinking about yourself. So, in order to get back onto the way, you have to think about others. And you, you, if you don't gather together, you can't really think about others. And then when you gather together, they're going to rub you the wrong way. I tell you, somebody's going to rub you the wrong way. And you're not going to want to forgive them. Well, see, so you have to forgive and care about others. Which is why I say forgive and give. Have to give of your time, your energy, to get other, to care about others, to sh express that care for others. I mean, people say, "I want to have children, but I don't want to change diapers." Well, I'm sorry, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, I don't want to homeschool my kids. I want to send them off and let them because it's so much trouble. You know, and I, I'd like to come home and relax and watch TV. I don't want to be. Going over lessons with my kids. No, no, you have to homeschool your kids. You need to homeschool your kids. You need to homeschool your kids. Because it will educate you when you homeschool your kids. You need to do that. You need to not farm your children out to other people. Well, you say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, get into a congregation. Get together with other people. People are actually hesitant about bringing people to the network. Because we we talk tough sometimes. 
Jesus talked tough. I mean, he called people whited sepulchers, for gosh sakes. I mean, that full of dead men's bones, you know. And he, people were foolish. He rebuked, get behind me, Satan. He says to Peter, I mean, he, he didn't pick any bones about it. He told it like it was. You know, it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven than a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Now, there's some debate as to the camel going through the eye of the needle. Some people talk about camel yarn going to the eye of the needle. But there are there are these little doors in some ancient cities that were left unlocked that you could get in and out of the city in the middle of the night when the regular gates were closed. And they called that little door the eye of the needle. But to get a big camel to that, you have to unload all the camel's burdens, you know, and carry them through one box at a time, one bag at a time, because he can't fit through that carrying his burden. Plus, he's too tall because so, it's a low door. So you have to get the camel to get down on his knees and go through this door. Well, he doesn't want to go through that door. So you have to whip him. Get into there. Get into there. So people had seen this where people were get in late, carry their stuff in, and try to get their camel through the eye of the needle and because they don't want to leave them running around out there in the desert. They'll lose them. And so when Jesus said that, there were some chuckles in the eyes because they knew the rich man's got to unburden himself of all his goods. He's got to get down on his knees and he's got to be chastised until he gets through the eye of the needle if he wants to get into the kingdom of God. Well, now, if the kingdom of God was your entire social welfare system based on faith, hope, and charity and that perfect law of liberty, somebody showed me a clip from a, I guess it's a TV series, House of Cards or something, and the guy, uh, Kevin Spacey, playing the president, gets up there and says, you're entitled to nothing. He's saying the entitlements is what's destroying this country. You're entitled to nothing. Now, I don't know how it's received. I thought, wow, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> that's true. But uh, that's pretty amazing. But uh, I, I've never seen the series, and I hear there's a lot of other morally degrading stuff going on in the series. But... Uh, that's true. You're entitled to nothing. You're entitled to the fruit of your labor. That's capitalism. You should be charitable and redistribute what you don't need to others more in need. If you care about others as much as you care about yourself. And if you care about others as much as you care about yourself, you will start to reconnect the parts of your brain necessary to know the truth. To see the truth. You will awaken. When you start caring about others. As much as you care about yourself. It will reconnect. 
if you don't care about others as much as you care about yourself, you want to save your stuff, get your stuff in a trust, get your stuff secure, build your barn and fill it full of your stuff so that you're safe. That's your focus. You don't really care about others. I don't want to join a network that depends upon charity. I don't want, want other people to know the way. I mean, I want them to know, but they got to find out like I found out. But you haven't found out yet. Because you don't care about others as much as you care about yourself and your stuff. And if, if people were to start to come together there, rich men would be terrified. I mean, the wealthy... The, Nothing against rich men, but, you know, the selfish rich men of the world. There's a lot of rich men who provide all kinds of employment. We talked about that in some of the last shows of, about this king who wanted to put on the garments of a beggar. Well, as a king, as this rich man, he was able to help people all the time. He was managing this money, huge responsibility to make sure, okay, I'm going to help out this minister, this shepherd, this priest. And he's doing a good job. But this one over here, he's not doing such a good job. And he's actually kind of lazy. He's getting fat. And he's, he's he, he doesn't get up till noon. And I'm not going to support that minister because he didn't really care about other people. That's a responsibility. That's a shepherd. He's a shepherd of wealth. Using it wisely, if he does use it wisely. If he doesn't use it wisely, you know, see, Lebanon didn't know how it worked. And without Jacob, Lebanon wasn't a big success. I mean, he had to, he had a, he, he attached himself to Jacob because Jacob knew how things worked and made things a success. But there comes a time where you cut Lebanon's off. And they have to stand on their own. But that will strengthen the Lebans of the world. It'll make them or break them. You know, this is why, you know, Christ, uh, well, he's in the New Testament. I'm not going to say Christ said it, but in the New Testament, uh, the description of being a, a bishop or minister included being the husband of one wife and this family had to be in order because raising a family matures you. It teaches you stuff. Having to take care of that family, stick by that family, provide for that family, work and, and, and put in the overtime that a family often requires. That's maturing. It strengthens you to be a good minister. Take care. You know, David took care of flocks. He had to protect them. He had to make sure they had enough food and made sure they had enough water that, uh, you, know, you know, we have a bull. And we discovered the bull has injured itself. That's with the cows. And, I mean, he's, he's got one leg that's really badly injured. And he could barely get around. And he wasn't with the cows. So he had to go out on the desert and find them. And we had to get him back. Well, that's miles of walking back. And it's, it's a bull. It's a wild bull. I mean, when I first came up to him out there on the desert, he felt challenged and he was facing me like a bull does face danger i mean coyotes have probably been around him during the night and he faced them and now all of a sudden i'm standing there but i convinced them that he didn't i wasn't going to do him any harm than that but i have to load him into a trailer and i'm trying to give instructions there were a couple other people there 
how do you load this 2,000-pound bull into this trailer out in the middle of the desert? You don't have corrals to run him down. You don't have a chute to run him in. You have to get him interested in hobbling over to a trailer, horse trailer, and jumping up in the horse trailer with one bad leg in the front. <laughs> so I had to go out and connect to that bull and convince him, you want to go into that trailer. You want to get up in that trailer. And it was it's a long story, but it actually didn't take very long. He Once I... Uh, once I got everybody else stopping, chattering, and walking between the trailer and the bull, then we walked over, and he stepped up in the trailer and got into the trailer. And we're hopefully we're going to heal him up so he can be back with the cows. If he doesn't, we're, we're in trouble because you can't get more calves without a bull. <laughs> we only have one. So anyway, but the point is that's there's a connection. That these things, there's a process, and you have to make these connections and convince the the mind of the bull that we're doing you good. And I I can't do it with language. I have to do it with something else spiritually. I can exercise dominion over that bull. I can make that bull think he wants to get into that trailer. I have that right to have dominion over that bull and his thinking. And I did. And I, I told them, you want get into the trailer. I said, up, up into the trailer. That's the words. He didn't understand the words. But in his brain, he understood that I wanted him in that trailer. And he walked right with me over there. I'm not leading him. I'm telling him. I'm walking next to him, but I'm just telling him. And he got into the trailer with no trouble. And even, well, I mean, he had trouble getting up in there, and then he had trouble getting out again because he's got this bad leg. But I can't do that with people. I don't have the right to make you think a certain way. But I'm telling you, if you do not think the way Christ thinks, who came to serve others, you're foolish. And you can't fix foolishness unless you think like Christ, you have to, what? Repent. Think another way than you're thinking now. Because the reason that you're in trouble, the reason that you're poor, the reason that you're not a success is because you're not thinking like Christ. You're not following the ways of Christ. You're not coming together to serve one another. If you did that, capitalism would work real great for you. You don't have capitalism in America anymore. You have a mix of socialism and a pretense of capitalism. You don't even have real money anymore. That's another thing these guys think. Oh, money is bad. Money isn't bad. You can pile up a bunch of coins on the table and watch them. They don't do anything that's bad. <laughs> they, they Choice. Well, you know, people who want to say money is bad, they're they're deflecting from the real problem. Only people are bad because people can make a choice to either go the way of righteousness or go the way of unrighteousness. You can make that choice. When you make that choice, 
bad things will happen. When you make the choice to do what's right, good things will happen. What's right? Care about others as much as you care about yourself. And then, you know, the basic Ten Commandments. Although, most people don't even understand the Ten Commandments. But anyway, I'm I'm going to encourage people to uh, to uh, gather on the network. Join our network. Go to preparingyou.com and look for the network links and join people. People say they get lost on our website at hisholychurch.org and even preparing you. There's search engines there. The, the reality is, is when you go on to those places, you're discovering that you're already lost. <laughs> get lost on the site. You are already lost. And what's happening is the question's coming to your mind. What do I do? What you know, You're thinking that you can read some information there and then you would have the knowledge to decide what to do. No. That's the tree of knowledge. Now, we there is a lot of knowledge there, and it's fine to read stuff there. But the answer is you've got to listen to what's right in your own heart. And what's blocking you from doing what's right in your own heart is you don't care about others as much as you care about yourself. That's the one thing about a family is that you start caring about your kids. You know, I mean... I, I can I can see people hurt and in an emergency situation and bleeding and you can but when it's my kids, man, that's rough. You know, that's one of the things, you know, doctors are not allowed to, you know, perform surgery on their own children and stuff because they say you're too emotionally involved, although occasionally that happens, but the reality is is that you're tied up in your children you you're compelled to care about them and that's good because it awakens that caring about others willingness to sacrifice for others there there was a movie a, one of these end times movie where earthquakes and guys speeding around on a limousine and uh saving people trying to you know and all this kind of stuff i can't even remember uh 2000 12 or something like that maybe that was the movie but there was this gangster guy in there and he was betraying everybody and everybody was betraying him and everything at the very last he was such a selfish guy at the very last he throws his son up to be saved you know to be somebody to catch him and bring him onto this Noah's Ark type vessel or something and loses his own balance and falls to his death. His last act, it was like redemption. <laughs> he tried to save, he was willing to risk his own life to save his son. And that was that's a good start. But you have to care about other people's sons as much as you care about your own. That's kingdom of heaven tracking, you see. That's why you gather. Not to make people weak with your charity, but to make them strong with your charity. To be there for them so that they don't have to go to the benefactors who exercise authority that will make them slaves. So that they don't have to necessarily even get employment with a selfish rich guy. Because there are some selfish rich guys. Just being rich doesn't make you selfish. Being a capitalist doesn't make you selfish. 
there are selfish capitalists and there are selfish rich guys. But there's selfish poor guys. There's, there's a lot of selfish socialists. I mean, a lot of selfish socialists. Money isn't the problem. Although, there are good forms and bad forms of money, obviously. You know, I mean, Federal Reserve note is not really even money. It's used as money. We use it instead of real money. But anyway, we won't get into all that. I mean, coin, coining money is taking a just weight and measure of gold or silver and stamping on it a value. When you stamp on a gold coin $20 or $50, it used to be $20 they'd stamp on that. You are stamping on there that this is worth 20 silver dollars. Well, it's not necessarily worth 20 silver dollars. That's an opinion. That's coining. When you stamp on an ounce of gold, that's a just way to measure. It's just what it is. It's one ounce. It's gold. You know, nine-nine fine silver. One ounce. That's it. It's not worth a hundred pennies. It's just an ounce because it's a just weight or measure. But if you stamp on it a value, now you've stamped on it an opinion. This is worth a hundred pennies. <laughs> well, that's great for bookkeeping. It's great for taxation. But it's not a just way to measure anymore. It's something else. And the Bible tells you to have just weights and measures. Nothing wrong with money. That's just weights and measures is what money was. That's a commodity money. Because, I mean, gold has value. I mean, you should cook on gold. I mean, that's that would really be good to have a, a pan to cook stuff in that's made out of gold. Or silver. Make stuff out of silver, you know, pan out of silver. And that's good to have silverware good thing to eat with because that, that little bit of trace mineral gets into you that's good for you you know you want to make it out of lead you make your plates out of lead you'll get poisoned you'll get lead poisoning because you I mean you need some lead to be healthy but you get too much lead and it's bad for your body it kills you it, it affects your brain so there's good money and there's bad money uh, as far as you know just like there's good plates made out of silver and there's bad plates made out of lead. <laughs> it's just, it's not a good thing. But it isn't good or evil. It's not evil. I mean, you can make plates out of lead and that's fine. Just don't eat off of those lead plates. Use them for something else. <laughs> so, you know, like uh, to line your nuclear power plant. It's lined with lead. <laughs> Because it's a good shield. Or, you know, your x-ray machines. So it has its place. But that good and evil, that's the result of choice. And if you choose the way of evil, if you, if you choose to decide for yourself what is good and evil, you're going to be going in a, the wrong direction. You're going to sever your mind from where it should be. So I actually had a bunch of other topics that I was going to cover, but that uh, Dasher Keltner, professor at the University of California, who says that, you know, there's a brain trauma when you give people power. 
to give the poor the power to take away from the rich is going the wrong way. And that's what you do with socialism. You're, you're empowering the poor to take from somebody else. You're, and even just discussing it. Talking about the rich guy, you know, and all the wealth in the rich guy's hand and everything. You're tempting the poor to do what will actually make them poor. To sever them from righteousness. From seeing things clearly. It, and it's it's you're injuring their brain. When you're teaching people to care about others, including the rich, as much as they care about themselves, wealth is a curse. Remember in Tevia, where the guy says, "Wealth is a curse." <laughs> Tevia says, "May the Lord smite me <laughs> with it." Oh, uh, but the reality is, is wealth can be a curse. It can be a great temptation because wealth is power. Don't pray for power. Pray for wisdom. Because power makes you foolish. The power to control others makes you foolish. Again, I can have dominion over a bull out in the field and make him think he wants to get into that trailer. I can control and manipulate his mind like a puppet. That's okay. There's no sin in that. But I can't do that with you. You have to go to God. So you, when you get lost on the website, what does God tell you to do? Now, I can recommend that you gather together with others, not forsake the gathering together with others. Ask your question with others. Join the network. And then join the Living Network. The network is just an email groups. The Living Network is a network of congregations linked by real living stones, lively stones, to form lively altars that were, where your care can be actually put into practice. Charitable practices instead of the covetous practices you're so used to. You know, even if you don't take the benefits of the world, but you don't provide for the table of the Lord, that's a covetous practice. You can covet your own stuff, you know. And if you do that, what happens if you take water? Even the, you know, we have artesian wells out here, and people were just talking the other day about how this water just rejuvenates you because it's so different and unique, and it just comes up on its own. And they said, we should bottle this and, and sell it and distribute it. If you bottle that water in a plastic bottle and, you know, clear plastic bottle and put it on the shelf where light gets to it, it would not be the same water in a week. It would be different water. When it's flowing out of the well, it's good. When you take your wealth, your stuff, what God has given you and allowed you to accumulate in capitalism <laughs> and you put it in your barn or you put it in your container, it will, its nature will change. It must flow to keep it pure. It must go out. It must be shared in order to uh, keep its character. 
and, and be the living water that lives in you. Now, you have blood flowing through your veins all over. If it, it accumulates anywhere, it will begin to clot. I was going to talk about Manuel Antonio Noriega Marino. Uh, they actually call him... Uh, uh, it's not Noriega. We always say Noriega, but it's Noriega, I think is the way it's pronounced. But anyway, uh, he died recently, May 29th of 2017. And we're not going to have time in this section to talk about it, but we're going to talk about him and this whole money thing when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. But we're going to take a look at it in a way that most people have never seen it. I'm going to share with you some of the secrets of the kingdom of God in the next half hour. So stay with us. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, I said that we'd talk about Noriega, uh, Manuel Noriega, who used to be the Panamanian politician and military officer uh, and longtime CIA informant. I mean, that's his basic knowledge. He was a CIA informant for many years. Uh, he was a military dictator of Panama from about 1983 to 1989. And uh, his story is kind of a springboard for what we've been talking about. Uh, because he was a man who got lots of power and more and more power and he needed more and more power you know and i always say that if you create offices of service you get men who seek service but if you create offices of power you get men who seek power now you wouldn't think that a doctor is an office of power but when you walk into a doctor's office and he just tells you to start doing stuff and take this and do this and and you do everything he says, you're giving him power to make choices for you. Because he's a doctor, you say, and because he has this white coat. You're giving him power over your body. And you're doing what he said. I say you should you should question this. Question it in your hearts and in your in your very soul because he could lead you he could tell you to do stuff that's not good. You want to assume because he went to school and everything, he knows all this stuff, and so that whatever he tells you you should do, you're making that man a god in your life. No contract. You don't have to take these pills. You can buy them and flush them down the toilet. But you're making him a god. You're gonna, you think you have to do what he says because you are making him a god. Your opinion is making him a god. And really is an opinion born out of fear because you're afraid if I don't do this, I may die. That comes from years of thinking about yourself, not thinking about others. And so, therefore, you you become uh, frightened and, and fearful, and you have to do what he says because you might die. Well, you do the same with your pastors, a little bit different setting, but 
there that you put them in power you put them up on pedestals oh they've got this schooling they talk so da, 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 da. but you're giving them power so you don't just have to elect somebody to give them power they don't have to carry around a gun and a badge to have power you give people power over you when you're dating your girlfriend your boyfriend you give them power over you to get power over them, but you give them power. You empower them here so that, you know. I mean, a prostitute does that. You give me money, I give you this. You give me, th I give you this, you give me money. You're empowering each other. But that's, that power corrupts. Okay, so let's get back to Noriega. You know, he was, uh, 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 I won't go through his whole history, but, you know, he came up and he went to uh, uh, these different schools and everything to learn to be a military guy. And he was a part of uh, earlier, uh, uh, you know, juntas and, and uh, control and all this kind of stuff. But uh, and, and he was in power in Panama at the time the Panama Canal, which is built on leased land. We built the Panama. We don't own the Pan. We didn't own the Panama Canal. The United States built it on leased land. Well, the lease was up, and now you had to renegotiate it. So who's going to own it? Who's going to control it? Well, it's going back to Panama, and you know, the hundred years. I think it was ninety-nine year lease or whatever. This is a very valuable piece of real estate. Well, at the same time, there were. Uh, these summits that were economic summits that were going on all over the world. You know, I was telling people that, you know, Japan's going to issue gold coin. And and, uh, and people said, no, they'll never do that. No, they, they will do that because there's a shift happening because of the stuff you use as money from Federal Reserve Systems, which Japan has and all these countries have. Panama didn't have one, by the way. Didn't need one had an abundance of U.S. currency. It did have some notes and everything, but it didn't really have a Federal Reserve System like we have. And, you know, it's a complicated thing. I'm not going to go on to all of it because we don't have enough time. But the reality is, is uh, every country was having to waive their right. When I was a, a kid, I had a friend whose father worked for the Federal Reserve. And he would talk to me about these money things. And this kid had made $40,000 by the time he was 15 years old, trading in coins. He was a whiz. And he put a lot of time into it. And, uh, and he was just building this wealth and everything. And he was telling me things I didn't really understand. I was a kid too, 15 years old, sophomore in high school. Maybe I was 14. And... Uh, he was telling me that, you know, that the sheikh of Saudi Arabia brings a $20 bill to the Federal Reserve and he can get a two ounce of gold. But if you want to go buy an ounce of gold, you'd have to pay 70 bucks, I think, at that time to get an ounce of gold. $77 and so many cents. But he could get an ounce of gold for a $20 bill. Well, how could that be? That doesn't make any sense. Well, he's he's not a U.S. citizen. He's a sovereign. So countries could trade. If they had an abundance of Federal Reserve notes, they could trade for gold. 
from the United States. Citizens can't trade for gold for, from the United States and haven't been since HJR 192 was passed way back. Now, HJR 192 was repealed, but something else has taken its place. We go all into this in the book Covenants of the Gods, enough so that you can kind of figure it. But the point was, is that all they wanted everybody off the gold standard. This was in all countries, not just U.S. citizens, all countries off the gold standard. So they didn't have... They had monetized oil and minerals and everything in U.S. currency, but they didn't want them, you people who had lots of oil like the Sheik of Saudi Arabia, we didn't want them bringing these notes back and wanting gold. So we wanted everybody off the gold standard, and we just used these notes. Well, in order to do that, how do you get Venezuela to agree to that? How do you get Brazil to agree to that? Well, you can put economic pressure on them. Well, because they all have Federal Reserve systems. You can buy up their notes and bankrupt them. Uh, you can strangle them in trade agreements. So how do you get them? Well, Panama had this huge income, lots of wealth down there. It had the Panama Canal, which it was now going to own. And this, what he did was equitably convert the Panama Canal to, to give him back the power. And what he did is he waived his right to redeem those notes in actual gold, which is everybody was trying to get every country to do. But he gets the Panama Canal. And everybody was, the news was all against him getting the Panama Canal, but he wanted this deal. And Kissinger flew down there and made the deal with him. You get the Panama Canal. Did you ever read the treaty where they get the Panama Canal? They actually get the canal. Not just the land that it's on, but they actually own the canal. The most valuable real estate probably in the entire North and South American hemisphere because of all the ships passing through there saves millions and billions of dollars. He traded it and he didn't have to give a dime. He just agreed to not redeem Federal Reserve notes in gold and silver. One of the most classic, I mentioned this on another uh incredible land deals ever made. Amazing, huge deal. And for this little guy who was nothing but a soldier at one time, now he's the head of Panama, but I mean it's a little tiny country. He was the wheeler dealer of wheeler dealers. You know, Kissinger flying down and making that deal. And the news media have no idea what was really going on. But, I mean, they don't even read the agreement. They don't even understand what they're reading if they read it. <laughs> so, uh, but the point is that's really what was going on. But now what was happening is he went totally nuts with the power that he had. I mean, he was a cocaine runner and, and all that. I mean, he made, he bought $3 million worth, was it $3 million or I can't even remember how many million dollars it was. It was more than that, were the property in France. Uh, I think I actually have it in my notes somewhere. But uh, uh, he bought, he had millions and millions of dollars that he was laundering all the time. Plus the fact he was getting paid by the CIA even when he was the president of Panama and uh, this military dictator. But then all of a sudden, 
they wanted to do him in. And they wanted to get rid of this guy. This was about the time the Berlin Wall was falling down. Uh, you know, Usher, you know, Bush, President Bush, H.W. Bush, had just ushered in the post-Cold War era with the Operation Just Cause to foray uh, that would have been deemed a sneak attack if an official enemy uh, nation had initiated it. And this is what they called it. They were went down and they, they went down and they invaded Panama. Uh, Twenty-seven thousand troops, three hundred aircraft, uh, killing hundreds, and hundreds, and hundreds of Panamanians, thousands and thousands of people injured. The inv- invasion lasted less than eight months before uh, it, it, it took place. Less than eight months before. Iraq invaded Kuwait for a lot more reason than we went down there. What was our reason for going into Panama? Well, a couple of military guys had been beat up. U.S. military guys had been beat up on the streets of Panama. They were out partying and they were beat up. It wasn't an attack on a U.S. ship or anything like this. And supposedly a woman had been threatened, uh, a wife of one of these uh, servicemen had been threatened with a uh, sexual assault. Uh, Minor things that happen in countries all the time. I mean, we have U.S. citizens who are uh, beheaded and attacked and put in prison, beat to death. Happens all the time. Sexual assault by police in foreign countries happens all the time. We don't invade it. You know, uh, th- those soldiers were arrested and beaten in a, in Panama. Big deal. I mean, they're official channels. You you don't take out twenty seven thousand troops and three hundred aircraft, spend millions of dollars to invade another country, killing hundreds and hundreds and injuring thousands of people and doing millions and millions of dollars worth of property damage because of an assault on a, on a U.S. soldier when he's out. You know, for a good time, <laughs> it's crazy. But that wasn't what it was all about. What it was about is this guy had had got the Panama Canal. You know, one of the first things they did after they took Panama was they created a Federal Reserve in Panama. Where 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 did Noriega run when he was being they were being attacked and his soldiers were being overcome and all this stuff? He ran to the the Vatican headquarters in Panama and hid in there. And the soldiers surrounded the place and uh, wouldn't let them out. And, I mean, they did, uh, they, you know, they played hard rock music outside, <laughs> everything, <laughs> tried to get him to come out and everything. But eventually he did come out and immediately was flown to the United States where he was tried, put in prison. And eventually he was flown to France and he was tried there and he was put in prison. And uh, then he was eventually flown back to Panama where he was tried there for something else. <laughs> Except for the fact that he developed a brain uh, tumor and had to go and uh, have an operation which he did not really survive. I mean, he came out, but he didn't live much longer. A 2017 obituary stated that Noriega was the opportunist who used his close relationships with the United States 
to boost his own power in Panama and to cover his illegal activities for which he was eventually convicted. He, he supposedly became a Christian while he was in, you know, because he had visitors and everything when he was in these different prisons and being kept there. You know, guy, upper echelon of power and control and a government and suddenly, you know, just in prison all the time and having to go through that. But, you know, I mean, he had raped people and he had people killed and he was a powerful dictator. But that power just got him more and more drunk and uh, more and more uh, fixated on more and more power. Now, that's an extreme case. But with us, we have this minor case of power over our neighbor, power over others. We vote in our candidate. We do this. What you want to do is reconnect with a part of your mind where you will have dominion over a bull in the field, <laughs> over over the the plants in the ground. I mean, if you read what Jacob did in order to get all the all these animals to be born spotted and belted, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work that way. Genetics don't work that way. But somehow or other, it seemed to work for him. Why did it do that? Because he had dominion. But he had dominion. He was serving. He'd spent, you know, 14 years serving Lebanon in order to marry the woman of his dreams. And when he he talked to Lebanon, Lebanon says, What do you want me to give you? I want you to give me nothing. I don't want your gifts. Just give me wages. This is what my wages will be. The spotted and belted calves, goats, and, you know, the lambs and, and calves. And his prospered because he had dominion. That if you stop trying to have power over your neighbor, and, and the way to do that is to start serving your neighbor, giving and forgiving to your neighbor, and to the stranger in your midst you will be reconnected back to having dominion. How do you think Jesus was able to heal and then the apostles were able to heal? Because they all came to serve and they have dominion. They have they get dominion over the evil where they can just, you know, stop the evil in its tracks. Stop the liar in his tracks. Because they've been reconnected with that original capitalism of God, the capitalism of Christ, dominion on this planet, where the kingdom of God begins. The kingdom of God is not in heaven. The kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. The kingdom of God is where you have dominion. You know, he had dominion over the fish. He just told them to swim into the net. I can't tell you where to swim. That would be exercising dominion. You must choose to seek the ways of Christ, the righteous way of Christ. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. First John 4, 7. You talk about being born again. 
then you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you will not send him to benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. You will take care of him. What you share from one clay altar to another is your business and the business of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you do it diligently and well, then Christ is perfected in you. If you are slothful in the ways of righteousness, then you should be under tribute. You will be under the power of others, whether they be rich men or powerful men or whatever. You will even be under the power of commercials and TV (laughs) and suggestion. You will be hypnotizable. Christ did not come to set the slothful free, the foolish free, the selfish free, the uncharitable free, the ungiving and unforgiving people free. He didn't come to set them free. He came that they might be saved, but they can only be saved if they stop being slothful, stop being selfish, stop being foolish, stop being stupid. But that's a choice. You have to choose to think a different way. And the way you begin to do that is to think about others as much as you think about yourself. First John 4.12 No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. And we get dominion back on earth as it is in heaven. The serving of others is really at the core of forgiveness and being healed, being whole again. Man has dominion when he is whole. You don't have dominion. You don't have dominion because you've been traumatized by sin and cut off from God and the Holy Spirit. And many churches are out there trying to conjure up a feeling of the Holy Spirit. But the dominion of God is not a feeling. Faith is not a feeling. It's a reality. It's a probity. It's a fancy. It is something that you put into action. And you have to turn around and go the other way in order to put that into action. That faith into action. And and this is where we have to go if we are going to actually seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So you know we talk. I, I was talking about you know this foolishness, and the, the, like I say, it's mentioned about 189 times. It's actually mentioned way more than that in the Bible, but it isn't always translated foolish. It's translated a lot of different ways, depending on which word. And in the Old Testament, there's a lot of different words that appear as uh, foolish. And, uh, you know, we we see words in the New Testament. The Greek, moros, uh, appears a number of times in, uh, or talks ye fools, and blind for whether is greater, the gold of the temple or the sanctifieth the gold. That which sanctifieth the gold. And Jesus is calling people 
moros, which is where we get moron. <laughs> so, he's saying this to wake them up, to snap them out of their foolishness. He's doing it out of love. And that's what you have to do, is you have to start doing everything out of love for others. You have to set yourself aside for love of others. And do things out of that love and from that love. In in the Old Testament, we have all kinds of words that are translated foolish. And some of them have some similarities to each other, but some of them are quite different. Halal is uh, translated foolish, fools. Uh, but it's also translated rage. It's actually... Just to give you an idea how easy it is to start manipulating these words. Halal uh, means actually closer to uh, shine or flash. And uh, it's uh, actually two lamads and the letter hay. But it begins with hay. And uh, lamad has to do with what your hands do. Your hands doing things. But the word halal is translated foolish three times, fools twice, rage twice. But it's also translated praise and glory and boast. But it's also translated mad. Uh, it's even translated marriage and celebrate. The same word translated all these different ways. So how do they? How do you get away with that? <laughs> how do you? Uh, you know, th there's another word that's translated foolish, um, which is baresh, but it's also, it actually means brutish and stupid. So there's lots of different things that we could, but it's basically the simplicity of the kingdom is to seek the righteousness of God. Till then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.